Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? Welcome to episode 15 in the Plant Witch Podcast. And with this episode, we will begin another series. In this series, we are encountering the archetypal energies that are within our human experience and that we call deity. Most of the deities that I've encountered are given their names and structures through European mythology because that is the root of my ancestral tree. Like all modern humans, the fruiting of my practice has been cross-pollinated with the wisdom and stories and cultures of many human ancestral networks. I've been shaped and informed by the teachings of the Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita, the great body of work of Ayurveda and yoga. I've been shaped by the deep and ancient wisdom of Chinese medicine. I've found structure and depth in the study of astrology and Western herbalism through the lens of the humors and the elements. I found peace and an unebbing flow of wisdom from Lao Tzu and the Tao Te Ching. I've been moved by the Psalms and confronted with the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible. I've learned patience and expansiveness from the impeccable practice of Zen. My heart and spirit have been touched, informed, awakened, renewed, and challenged by the thoughts, words, and practices and also the mythologies of many groups of people from all around the world. This is true for most of us who are alive on Earth today. With so little of our cultural customs intact after the diasporas following imperialism, globalization, and the rubble of capitalism, we're left scavenging to fortify our seeking spirit. We're not initiated. We're not held in a wisdom tradition. We have to create our own tradition or find an intact tradition to adopt us. Or if we're lucky enough, we can travel to a part of the world where intact wisdom has been guarded, protected, and the stream kept flowing and vital. This desert of meaning and wisdom has created the conditions for turmoil. As people deeply revere and cherish the teachings and practices that have survived the near extinction of indigenous practice left in the wake of the Crusades and colonialism. People have died to protect these practices. Many people were killed when found practicing their family's traditions of folk wisdom, spirituality, land tending, and healing. There is so much unprocessed, unacknowledged, and unhealed trauma around the brutal destruction and erasure of culture the world over. The same colonial forces that rolled this world-eating machine across the globe then took fragments of the cultures that were destroyed or nearly destroyed and sold those fragments as commodities to turn the tilling blades of capitalism. While it was illegal for First Nations peoples to perform ceremony, replicas of their clothing, jewelry, musical instruments, or ceremonial instruments were sold for profit by the same forces policing them. This practice of capitalizing off the cultures that are suppressed and destroyed 
is such a heinous and evil practice that it has deeply fragmented the heart-mind of our people. In some cultures that only barely survived the effort of erasing them, the children who went looking for their people's culture may have only been able to find the fragments that had been captured by the capitalist machine, and those fragments may have been badly damaged, poorly understood, and misrepresented. In this way, the original teachings are diluted, changed, and damaged. These are just some of the dangers of appropriation, globalization, and the resulting cultural dilution and destruction that's following in the wake of capitalism. This topic is so much more complex than I can comprehend or convey here. But before we begin a discussion of deities, it's so important to look deeply at the lenses through which we see them. Our lens is mostly the lens of the destroyer, the colonized mind. And so we have fragments of a culture that is interpreted through the lens of maybe Christian monks writing about oral practices of cultures that were destroyed, erased, and assimilated. Or we're working with a tiny fragment of a complex, vibrant, divine ecology that we are far removed from, but are trying to grow our roots into to receive that nourishment. Unless we're living in a culture that has survived the tilling blade of capitalism and globalization, we are all scavenging the remains of old growth forests of the world trees. These mother trees that held the wisdom of the people who lived in relationship to the divine, to the land and the water and the ancestors, these world trees, these mother trees, these trees of life still live in the collective unconscious and we can meet them there. When I was around six years old, I awakened abruptly in the middle of the night and I went to my bedroom window where I looked out to see a black dog sitting there. It was looking at me with a soft red glow in its eyes and I felt this strange calm come over me. I went back to sleep. Later that week, my dog Sheba was struck by our neighbor's van and died. I knew that this black dog had come to warn me and to let me know that Sheba would go to be with her. It all made sense in my young mind. The next year, my beloved grandmother died. In the middle of the night, I was visited by a knowing, a gentle, warm awareness flooded me. I knew my grandmother had died and that she was fine. All was as it should be. When my mother told me the news in the morning, I told her I already knew. The same energy that brought me tidings of Sheba's impending passing also held me in the death of my grandmother. Because my grandmother was my person, she and I were deeply connected. And I knew that she went somewhere to a place I desperately wanted to follow her there. I would wander the orchards behind our house, sit by the creek, stare into the night sky, and ask for ways to find her, to be with her. This is where my relationship with a benevolent energy started to really deepen. I was trying to find my way into the underworld, the other world, the world beyond. 
just like Persephone who wandered into the underworld following her curiosity and instinctual longing for wholeness. This is the story I prefer. I also, like Persephone, was intercepted by a great energy at the crossroads. The psychopomp, the nightwalker, the dark womb of the earth. She who holds the crucible for the churning transitions between life and death. The lady with the lamp who guides souls and grants keys of wisdom. In my efforts to follow my grandma into the other worlds, I read everything I could find on the paranormal, the metaphysical. Even as a young child, I was searching, I was hungry. This was my initiation. My father, a lifelong occultist and metaphysician, guided me as much as he could on the journey, his own journey guided by the grandmother, who I was so eager to reunite with. In high school, I learned the story of Persephone and Hades and Hecate, and I instantly recognized her energy. This dark crone, this wise way-shower, I know her. I wasn't able to put together the identity of my dark mother with the being of Hecate until I met a priestess of Hecate two summers ago. I'd been reading about her and exploring her myths for several years. I knew I recognized her energy. She felt so familiar and so comforting to me. I had seen an advertisement for a ritual tea celebrating Hecate. It was an hour from my house, and I knew I had to go. Without knowing anyone who would be there, I signed up for the tea. This is where I learned that the being that had been guiding me and mothering me and protecting me was known by others and called by the name Hecate or Hecate and many, many other names. She is Brimo, the Stormbringer, Adamantia, the unconquerable and untamable one, Agriope, wild-eyed and fierce, Arigos, the helper, Atala, the tender and delicate, Anodia, keeper of the crossroads, Hyros Pier, the holy fire, Nikti of the night, Zootrophos, the nourisher of life. For a well-composed list, check out the article on Pathios by Matt Aron. It's linked in the show notes. Hecate is an ancient goddess. She first appears by name in the Greek literature of Hesiod's Theogony, the origins of the gods, written in the 8th century BCE. We can encounter her through the study of myth, through the works of scholarship by modern researchers, and by her priestesses, those who have devoted themselves to attending to and channeling this archetypal energy of Hecate into the world. This primal energy that I have encountered and been well loved by, that I now associate with the goddess called Hecate, is an energy that I can be in direct relationship with. Because I'm part of the European diaspora, but I am no longer a part of the culture of my ancestors, I don't feel that I can truly embrace the traditions or practices of my forebears. They're not intact, not for me. Instead, I need to make a direct link with this energy myself. For me, the energy of this being is the energy of the deep soil. She is the dark womb. She is the heat of the compost pile. She is the deep black 
ocean. She is the abyss and the void. She is the ineffable, unimaginable wholeness that gives birth to the light, the complexity, and beauty, and all things that exist in our temporary world. At the end of this impermanent existence, all things return to her. In this way, she is utterly accepting, unconditionally receiving all things, filled with compassion, truly the mother of all. For me, the energy closest to this archetype is the mycelium in the soil. This is a physical representation of this archetypal energy. It receives everything, transforms everything, creates nourishment from death and detritus. Fungus eats radiation, oil, plastic. It's the great transformer turning death to life. Encountering the archetypal energies in this moment, in this body, in this place, in a way that's reverent of previous encounters by other cultures, but doesn't copy those encounters or claim to be in the same current, feels the most whole and the most in integrity for me. I don't know if this dark mother who I love and who represents to me in many of the ways that Hecate is described is actually the great being Hecate. I don't know how it is possible to know that for sure when I'm not living in a community of devotees who actively encounter and tend to this energy. Hecate has been called the anima mundi, the animating soul of the world, she who is the source of all things. This feels fairly monotheistic to me, and yet it rings true to me in a way that is difficult to articulate. All seekers of truth and practitioners of the craft of the wise are free to develop relationships with divinity that are most in alignment with our own sovereignty, our intuition, our deepest truth. The relationship is the most important element in this. No human can tell us how to be in relationship with the land, with the divine, with the plants, or the waters, or the stones. These relationships are individual, personal, and transformational. We must remember, though, that all relationships are based in reciprocity. We give and we receive. If we are always receiving or always giving, that is not in balance. If we are learning from other practitioners in an intact culture or tradition, we must also make sure that we are learning in the spirit of reciprocity. Not only should we be careful to offer our time, our energy, our physical sacraments to the land and to deity, but also to the humans who are our teachers. If we're learning from a Hecatean priestess, what are we offering back in reciprocity? Does she need her garden weeded? Can we buy her a gift of altar candles or incense? Should we pay her for her time? This is also true of First Nations and Indigenous teachers, people of color who are helping to labor for justice, teachers of intact cultures who are still living on their ancestral lands, 
How are we giving back to them for all that we are learning from them? Hecate is a guardian of those at the fringes. She protects those who are not considered status quo. She holds her torch aloft for those who struggle, who strive, who are lost and overlooked. May we join her in holding our lamp and opening our compassionate hearts for those in the margins. If you study permaculture, you know that diversity and fertility in the margins are a powerful point of emergence and healing. These are the points of intersection, cross-pollination, growth, and change. These crossroads, these in-between places, are the birthplace of the new and the vital. These hedgerow plants like mullein and elecampane and Queen Anne's lace and chicory, along with poison plants like poison hemlock and water hemlock, henbane, mandrake, belladonna, baneberry, these are the plants sacred to Hecate, to the one who walks between the worlds and tends the world's edge. There are so many resources to learn more deeply about Hecate, the Dark Mother. I have linked a lot of those resources at the end of this episode's transcript in the show notes. I would love to hear about your experiences with Hecate and also your thoughts on this episode. Please visit The Plant Witch on Facebook and share your comments with this community. And let us know how you are in reciprocity with your deities, with the land you live on, with your teachers, by sharing the ways that you have found balance. You may help inspire others who are seeking that same balance for themselves. Thank you for tuning in to episode 15 as we discuss the Dark Mother Hecate and the very real work of cultivating spiritual life and relationship with divinity outside of an intact tradition. That work is so important and so ongoing. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook, The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me, and it's time to come back to life.